God loves the sinner. Amen. And all of us, the Bible says, has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And I realize every time I share my testimony that we do not think enough about the condition of our own soul. We don't think enough about where we were before Christ. We don't think about maybe where we're at right now even without Christ. And sometimes we presume about where we are when we're with Him. And when I think about the story that we have to tell in heaven, it won't be about what we've done. It won't be about our glory. It'll be about where we were at and what Christ was able to do. And when I think about Jesus' love for the sinner, I think about the story that Wes shared with us earlier this week about the demoniac and how a man's life was completely out of control. And I don't believe he got that way by just being born into the world, do you? I don't think that he was born in a condition where he was filled with thousand plus demons. I believe that he made decisions that led him to the condition that he was in where he was completely outside of Jesus Christ. But again, Jesus loves the sinner. And I believe that that man at that point in his life, even though he was so low and he had made decisions that led him to that point in his life, somewhere down in there, Jesus saw that he had a desire to be free from that and to know the God of heaven. We read in Mark chapter 5, that when Jesus had come out of the ship in verse 2, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit, who had his dwelling among the tombs, and no man could bind him, no, not even with chains, because that he had been often bound with fetters and chains, and the chains had been plucked asunder by him, and the fetters broken in pieces, neither could any man tame him. And always night and day, the Bible goes on to say in verse 5, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying and cutting himself with stones. Here is a man who made decisions that led him to a complete and total lack of control in his own life. He was destroying himself. And the Bible tells us that God created us to have life. God created us to live forever, but because of sin, it turned upon us, and now we're trying to destroy ourselves, and this man was on the brink of destruction. But yet we have good news at the point in this man's life where he's about to destroy himself. It says in verse 6, but when Jesus saw him afar off, he ran and worshipped him. When Jesus comes on the scene, things change. Amen? Amen. We often think that demon possession was something in the past. Or it's some weird thing that we see in the sci-fi movies now. And it doesn't happen in today's world, but I want to let you know that it happens on a very large scale in today's world. Maybe it doesn't happen like this necessarily. Maybe we don't have graveyards full of crazy men cutting themselves with stones and running around naked, screaming and yelling. But if you look in the world today, you have young people getting in relationships that are destroying themselves. You have young people that are getting involved with drugs that are killing themselves. You have young people doing things that shouldn't even be named among Christians and they're destroying themselves. And it happens even within our church. But the good news is that Jesus comes on the scene. He can change things. 
And you see the demoniac. There must have been something in his heart, like I mentioned, that God saw because God doesn't coerce a person to be changed. The Bible says that God looks on the inward heart. Man only sees things that are going on on the outside. The man was longing for something better. And Jesus was watching with a loving eye and He says, I see it. It's time to strike because the iron is hot. And He came and the man's life was completely and totally changed. He wanted to spend the rest of his life with Jesus. How is it with you this morning? Has your life been changed? Has it been transformed? Is your desire now not to live for the world and live with all the dying folk that don't know the Lord, but is your desire now to spend the days that you have left on this earth, whether it be one or many, with Jesus Christ? I love the picture that we have of the demoniac. And I don't know if you know this, but there was more than one up there. But we see that he's clothed and in his right mind. And, and all he can think about is spending the rest of his life with Jesus. He's excited. He's, got a, he's had a conversion experience and, and he's ready to go. And Jesus says, you know what? I don't want you to go with me. And when I first read that, I thought, man, he's a disciple. Why can't he spend the rest of his life with Jesus? Why can't he just follow him around? Because he had a mission. And the mission was to go tell other people what Jesus had done for him. Amen? And every time I read this story, I realize that maybe it's not just me that has this story. Maybe it's you. But this morning, I want to share a little bit about where I've been and what Jesus has done for me. I grew up, like many of you, in a, in a Christian home, somewhat. It was a divided home. Uh, my mother was a Seventh-day Adventist Christian, uh, kind of, growing as a Seventh-day Adventist. Um, I think I'm about a fourth-generation Adventist, to be honest with you. But it wasn't passed down in its purity. And so I lived in a divided home. My fathers, I can say that, were not Adventists. My mother was trying to be an Adventist, but obviously there was something wrong there because she wasn't marrying faithful men. And so one alcoholic after another came into the home. My mother was trying to maintain a Christian environment and tell us what it meant to be in a relationship with Jesus, but it was hard to see, you understand. And so as I was growing up, young person in that type of home, there was a tug and pull on either side. I enjoyed being in sports, and as a young person, it's okay, even as an Adventist, because you don't have the Saturday games, you don't have the Friday night games. It's all on Sundays and Thursdays and Wednesdays, and it's all good. And I want to tell you right now that even at an early age, it is not good to get involved with those things. It seemed so good at the time, and there was nothing wrong. It wasn't breaking any of the commandments of God. But what it was doing is was setting me up for a fall later on. You see, when you get older, and if you're progressing somewhat, Wes can attest to this, if you're progressing somewhat uh, in your uh, athletic ability, and you're pretty good at what you do, you can move on. You can become a part of JV. You can become a part of varsity. And that's where I was moving. And suddenly I found myself on the varsity team having to play on Friday night. Mom said no. Stepfather said, why can't he do it? Let him go. And there was a battle in the home. I would find myself on Fridays hating my religion, putting on a jersey that I knew I would not wear at a game on Friday night because I wasn't allowed to go. I was living a life that was a lie. It's almost delusional. Because here I was, going to school on Friday. I had a jersey on. I was running around with the rest of the crowd, do you understand? 
But then on Friday night, I was sitting at home. So my faith really didn't make me happy. And as I was growing up, I really never learned about the love of Jesus. I just learned about what I had to do. And parents, this morning, I want to let you know that the most important thing that you can do for your kids is to let them know about the love that God has for them. Help them to understand the relationship that He wants to develop with them. Help them to understand the commitment that He's making for them. Help them to see the glory that He has prepared for them. Because without that relationship, all the other stuff is going to drive them away from the church. Well, that's what happened with me. I grew up, I became quite rebellious in high school, uh, suspended once, twice, three times from the academy I was going to, and finally expelled. They didn't want me back. And I went to public school again for a while, back and forth, and finally, my mother says, I've got to send you back to the academy. That's where you belong. And I thought, I'm doing better in public school than I'm doing in the academy. But I went back there, graduated from there. And uh, shortly thereafter, I started getting involved with some partying and some drinking. The rebellious attitude continued on. And my mother and I were just kind of butting heads. And it came to a point of where I thought, you know what? I'm old enough to live my life on my own. I'm 16 years old, and I'm ready to go. I had got a job in high school. I was working all uh, afternoon and into the evening. I would come home and sleep, and I would get up maybe to go to high school in the morning. And I was just getting by. I knew that I was, I was okay had my car, had my money, and I said, I am leaving home. As soon as I graduated high school, uh, not, there, not too long afterwards, I packed up my car while my mother was out of the house, and I left, and I didn't realize the decision that I made would break her heart. You see, every decision that we make has a consequence for good or for evil. And even if we think the decisions that we're making are small today, in the end, when we look back in retrospect and we see all those decisions and where they brought us, we're going to see that every decision, even though we don't think it's big, is huge. I left home, didn't tell her where I was going, didn't tell her that I was leaving, and this I did to someone who raised me from the womb. You see, sin causes pain. And when you're full of sin, it hardens you to where you don't feel the pain of other people. But you're living in this vat or this, this bowl of pain yourself, and you don't even realize it. I moved to Tennessee, and of course there are a lot of good Seventh-day Adventist Christians down there, and it was a good environment to be a part of. And so I was making friends on top of one and on top of another, and, and there at Southern Adventist University, I had a great group of friends. Got a job down there, and... Uh, Went down there for the wrong reasons, guys. I went down there for a young lady. And I'm going to tell you, you should never base any decision that you make in your life upon another person. Every decision that you make should be based upon what Jesus is telling you and asking you to do, your relationship with Him. I went down there, started a relationship with her. It wasn't good. Uh, it was based on wrong principles, and I won't go into all that. But the friends that I was making there, the friends that I was making there were great. Uh, we were out hiking and we were swimming and we were playing tennis and we were having a good time when we were also drinking. And we started drinking more and more and we thought that we were, we were just fine. We could handle the things that we were doing and we would drink all day and all night sometimes. 
And then, even before we were old enough, we knew enough people where we were getting into the local clubs in the evening time. Every decision that we make has a weight for or against the kingdom of God. I remember a young guy by the name of Donnie that I was hanging out with at the time. And we always knew that if we wanted to stop drinking, we could. You understand? And I grew up in this era. I just want to let you know that on the television screen, we had a big television you know, that was back in the day before flat screen. And on the television, we would always hear the uh, motto, just say no to drugs. You ever heard that before? Commercial after commercial, just say no to drugs. And that was what I was all about. But strangely enough, as I was all about that motto, and I was always condemning people who were a part of that life, slowly I was seeing myself being drawn into that type of environment. My friend Donnie got sucked into it completely. I remember seeing him just a few years ago, and he was a young, vibrant man, physically active, physically fit, great mind, great attitude. I saw him about maybe five years ago, and when I saw him, he was just a shell of a man. He looked old. He couldn't even look me in the eye. His hands were trembling, and he could barely speak. He had been in and out of rehab for years. My heart broke for him because I realized that I was a part of that process that led him to that condition. I went to visit him in his home. And in his home, he was living with an old man. You see, he was just a, um, what do you call him, a caddy at a golf course at 40 years old. Living from dollar to dollar. And I walked into that house and it was a dirty, smelly, dark house. And the house wasn't even his. He had a little room off to the side. And here I thought is a grown man living in a tiny room with just a few belongings because of his decisions that he made. I appealed to him to accept Christ and he said he'd get there one day and that he was praying, but you know, without Christ in life, you can't make any changes, amen? And there he was, and I've never heard from him again. And I talk to people from time to time down there who know him and they say that he's still in the same condition and it's my prayer that God will bring him around and save him for his kingdom. Amen? Amen. But this is where sin leads us and it destroys our lives. And I was able to escape that. I remember standing one morning in my kitchen in my house that I had uh, during those years and I woke up one morning and I poured myself a drink. Straight alcohol with some ice. And I picked it up that morning and I began to take a drink and I set it down because it scared me to death. I realized at that point in time I was becoming an alcoholic. And God was there convicting me even at that point in my life. Justin, your life is heading down the wrong path. But you know how it is. You think you have control of your own life. I've got it. I can take care of it. I set it down. But I didn't set it down for the right reasons. Still drinking, but it was social now. I decided not to drink so much, but it led us into different areas. My girlfriend at the time graduated from Southern College. She moved to New York, and I had to make a decision. Was I going to go with her, or was I going to stay in, in Chattanooga? I decided to go with her. I went to get a job in the city and went to a temporary agency, and I walked in kind of dressed like I am today. And as I was talking to this man by the name of Craig, who owned the company, he says, man, I can get you a job anywhere in this city. He says, it's not about what you know, it's who you know and how you look. 
And he says, you fit the part for the city and you could fit right into the corporate world. And he was right. But it wasn't Craig that was giving me the job. I look back now and Satan was setting me up for a huge fall. I got a job in the city. I started working for Virgin Records to begin with. And then I got another job working for a place called Cushman and Wakefield. It's a real estate management firm. And they were managing a large uh, skyscraper called Citicorp Center in Manhattan. And that's where I started working. Started advancing through the company pretty well. Just started out as a data entry clerk, but ended up in the accounting position in a matter of a few months. And the financial manager calls me into the office and he says, Justin, you can do one of two things. He says, we want to have you work for us. Your, your work is great. We love having you here. And he says, you can have a job with us. He says, we'll take you on now. This will be your pay. He says, your advancement through the company will be slow because you don't have a degree, but your job is secure. Or if you want to go back to school, he says, network with us. And he says, when you're finished, you can come back and work with us and you'll be a part of our group. And I thought, well, I want to be a part of the group. I think I'll go back and get my education, finish it up, and then come back. I'll just continue to network with him. Talked with the girlfriend about it. We decided to end things, and I went back to Chattanooga to go back to school. Got back there, started school. Started a job. And it was at that point that life transitioned for me again. See, I went back there for good reasons, it seems. I wanted to get money so that I could go to school. And as I went to school, I would finish school and head back to New York and live the life of success that I wanted to live. In that restaurant, I don't know if any of you know about the restaurant business, but there are a lot of things going on behind the scenes. It's a party scene that I've never encountered before until I, I started working in one. People were drinking and doing drugs and having illicit sex and you name it, it was going on after hours. And one day somebody came up to me and they said, Justin, do you know where I can get such and such a drug? I'd never been a part of that in my entire life. Why are they asking me? But because I was making bad decisions, there was no conviction in my heart that that was terrible. That's just something that they were doing and I wasn't doing. So I said, let me check into it for you. Bad decision, Amen. I asked around a restaurant with some, to some of the people that I know and I finally found that drug that that person was looking for and I made the connection and my whole world changed at that point in time. I came into a handful of money in a bad way. Uh, there was someone that was uh, working in a bank who was working underhandedly and providing money for people, uh, basically laundering, if you will, through a system. So I had a pocket full of money, an unconverted heart, and people who wanted drugs. And one day a friend of mine came to me and he says, Justin, I know how we can make tons of money. I said, how is that? He says, we can buy such and such a drug. He says, we can turn it over in an evening and we'll make three times the amount of money that we invest one night. I said, really? He says, yeah, let's go down to Atlanta to check it out. So we went down to Atlanta, Georgia, and we went to a club, if you will. And uh, when we walked in, the music was incredible. I'd never heard music like that before in my life. I'd never met people like that before in my life. And at that moment, I thought, I am where I am supposed to be. The people were nice. They were cool. They got me. They understood me. They didn't condemn me. It's a great environment. And it was that evening that I began to try the drugs that we began to sell. It was freeing, you understand. 
It was awesome. But I didn't know that it would destroy the lives of other people and my own. We decided to invest in the drugs. One night we went out to another club and he was exactly right. We made three times the amount of money that we, that we invested. We walked away with a pocket full of cash. And from that point on, we started investing and investing and investing again. And that little business, if you will, began to grow. At about this point in time, I'd met another young lady and she kind of gripped my heart. You know how it is, right? You see that one person, you meet that one person, and they just, that's the one. But I didn't tell her what I was doing. And every day of my life, I would be doing these things over here, but I would be sharing with her another person that she didn't even, didn't even really know. And day after day and week after week, I would be selling more and more drugs. And then I would go to her and I would be someone else. It got worse. We began to do it locally there in Tennessee. We began doing them ourselves. We began sharing, with, uh, sharing them in, in an environment called raves. Have you ever heard of a rave, of a rave party? That's where I got my start. And in those rave parties, we would disseminate or disperse these drugs to whoever wanted to purchase them. And I remember one night being at one of these parties, and while I was there, I saw something that was strange to me. Hanging out with a group of people uh, that I called friends outside one night, I saw this person walking in front of me, and I scratched my head, and I thought, in the, the cloudiness of my mind, that's odd. What is, what's going on? And I realized then why it was odd. That person was about this tall. And they had to be maybe 10 to 12 years old. Walking around by themselves, strung out on drugs. And I realized that I was the one supplying for that young person. You see, every decision that we make has a consequence for good or for evil, not just in our own lives but in the lives of other people. And you may not be selling drugs, you may not be doing drugs, but if you are not making decisions for Christ, you are hurting someone else in your sphere of influence. God has put us in this world to have an influence for good and for eternal life. And if you are living outside of Christ and you're making decisions that are not in harmony with this kingdom, you're not hurting just yourself, you're hurting other people. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to come to the end of my life not having confessed those sins or dealt with those issues. I don't want to come to the end of my life and have the record stand against me saying, Justin, this decision that you made destroyed not just your life, but the life of one other person and two other people. And it goes on and on and on. And you see that one decision influenced maybe a multitude of people. God is real. He wants a real relationship with us. He wants to transform the life because he knows how destructive the human mind can be when it begins to act in the wrong way. And that's why Satan desires to influence it. That's why he desires to control it. Because he knows that if he can get you, he's got a ton more because of the bad decisions that you're making. It didn't bother me then, really. And that's how bad off I was. But God was working on my heart, and I remember driving home from Atlanta, Georgia one evening, and when I was driving home, I, I began to weep and cry, and I thought, what's wrong with me? Here I am, I'm making tons of money, I have a great home, I have great vehicles, I have nice clothing, I'm, I'm the head of my, uh, my work, if you want to call it that, 
beautiful women on one side and beautiful women on the other, but yet here I am, a man, if you will, and I'm crying in my car. And the question came to my mind as I was driving away from Atlanta that night, Justin, what are you doing? And as I look back in retrospect, I realize that it wasn't me that was asking the question. It was God himself, amen? You see, God continues to pursue us and pursue us and pursue us, and he's hoping that in the pursuit we'll find ourselves in a situation that we'll finally turn and look to him and like the Bible says, be saved. Justin, what are you doing? I remember in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve had sinned against God and they went and they ran and they hid and they were just wondering what was going to happen next. And here comes God walking through the garden and he says, Adam, where are you? Did God know where Adam was? He did. But he was asking Adam to come back to him, to be in relationship with him. And when they got back together again, there wasn't any condemnation necessarily from God's mouth. There's repercussions, Adam. There's repercussions, Eve. But I've done something for you. In a plan that I've made before you ever came about, I've got a way of escape for you. It's called the plan of salvation. You'll live again, he says. And God was appealing to me that night to accept that plan, to listen to his voice, but I brushed it aside. I was the man and I kept driving. I decided that that was nothing and that I was doing what I needed to be doing. It was getting so bad that we were going to people's houses carrying weapons and demanding money from them. We were traveling all around the nation setting up deals. Life was completely out of control. And like the demoniac, I wasn't just harming myself, but I was causing problems and pain for my community around me too. The relationship with that young lady was getting deeper. And I didn't have a strong desire to be married, but I, in my mind I felt that I loved her. And I want to tell you right now that you cannot love anyone the right way without Christ in your heart. If you don't know Jesus, guys, gals, do not, please, by God's grace, do not get into a relationship with someone else. Maybe you'll hear me today and you'll forget it tomorrow, but I pray by God's grace you just don't do it. I remember sitting on the couch in my home with her and we were talking, we were beginning to talk about getting married and in my mind I'm thinking, I do not want to get married. And one of the reasons was because of a true conviction God was bringing on my heart. I was living this life and I cared for her and I didn't want to bring her into that life that I was living. But at the same time, I didn't realize that she was already there. So we talked about getting married. And as we were talking, this heavy conviction came on my heart. And as I looked at her, this was the thought that came to my mind. Justin, every morning that you wake up, you will have to look at her and know that you're living a lie. And that was a burden for me. Heavy on my heart, but I decided that that didn't matter. I'm going to put this down. I'm going to quit. I can do this. It's not going to be a problem. I'm going to leave it behind me once we get married. Do you think that it was possible? No. I remember going to one of these parties one evening, and one of the guys that we were actually supplying drugs to came to me, and he asked me a question. He says, Justin, when are you going to put this all away? When are you going to stop selling drugs? When are you going to leave this life behind? And I told him, hey, I'm going to do it one day soon. And I didn't realize that that was God talking to me again. Here's a man who loved what I was providing. But yet at the same time, he's telling me, why are you still doing it? Why don't you stop? 
God was speaking to me. He's saying, Justin, before it's too late, get out of the situation that you're in and follow me. I said, yeah, I'll do it. I'll get out of it one day. And just kind of brushed it off and laughed and kept doing what I was doing. We have no power over sin except by the grace of God. We decided to get married. And I remember the wedding day. Beautiful uh, outside wedding down at a local mansion in Fort Oglethorpe, Georgia. Sunny, beautiful. And we were getting prepared and there... Uh, at the wedding was supposed to be a string quartet. They arrived and they were supposed to play Surely the Presence of the Lord is in this place. Have you heard that song before? Beautiful song. And I remember right before the wedding began formally, my wife came to me and she says, Justin, they're not playing the song. And I thought, well, what is that to me? You know, Didn't really care. And I think she came to me at least one more time and, and asked me why they're not playing it, what's going on. And to this day, I know that they didn't play that song at the wedding. Well, we said our vows, we went and we sat down at the table while everybody else was enjoying themselves and we began to sign the marriage license. And as we were signing it, clouds came over the place and it began to rain. Packed our stuff up in the truck, on the back of the truck, on the tire, I had a Jeep then, it said just married. You've seen those signs before, right? Nice black marker. Yellow marker, red marker. We drove off in that Jeep, and as we got to the hotel that we were staying in, I looked at it, didn't think anything about it until later on in life, but the rain had come down on that sign and had literally washed it away. And as I look back in retrospect now, I realize that all of those things that were taking place that day were sending me, God Himself was sending me a message. He was saying, Justin, my presence cannot be in this place. I cannot bless your marriage because I am not in it. You see, we had been praying, amazingly enough, during this time. We had been praying, she and myself, that God would be the center of our life. We began to read the Bible together. God was trying to work on two hard hearts. But we weren't listening. Even though we were praying, we were still doing what we wanted to do. We were not submitting or committing our lives to Him. And so what He was saying is, I cannot bless you with my presence. And I think about the rain that came down that day, and I felt as though it were the tears of God falling on our marriage. Because He knew what was coming next. We went on our honeymoon, terrible honeymoon, I'll just be honest with you. We came back, spent a few days at home, things were just awful. And I told my wife, listen, I've got to go to Chattanooga, I've got, to, I've got some work to do down there. What she didn't know was right before I got married, one of my friends came to me and he said, Justin, I need some money. Will you make a purchase for me? He asked for tens of thousands of dollars and I said, okay, I'll do it this time. I said, I'm done with it though. I don't want to be a part of it anymore. I had money set aside for me and my wife for college. We could live for years. We could get settled into jobs and I was ready for the future. Well, we took those drugs that I had purchased, packed them in a truck, and we headed off to Tennessee. When we got there, we were supposed to meet at a bowling alley. He wasn't there, so I went to a restaurant, called some of my friends. I said, hey, why don't we get together at the restaurant? We'll have some drinks, eat some food. I didn't tell them that I was going to make a major uh, drug deal right there in the parking lot of that restaurant. Well, when we got there, I got a window seat, and I was watching for this man that I was supposed to meet. So I pulled into the, the drive there, the parking lot. I went out to meet him. And when I saw him, I said, do you have my, my money? 
And he says, I have your money. And I said, I have some more drugs for you. I opened up the car door, grabbed the drugs. He's pulling a big wad of money out of his pocket. He handed it over to me, and I was handing him the drugs. And as we were making the exchange, I saw that something was wrong in his face. I looked in his eyes, and I knew that there was something that wasn't right. And as soon as we were making the exchange, all of a sudden, cars and trucks surrounded us. The Drug Enforcement Agency and the Tennessee Bureau of Investigations had surrounded us and held us at gunpoint. No, not... Amen! Amen? Praise the Lord, the career was over. I didn't think that at the time. I was thinking, man, what am I going to do to get myself out of this one? I didn't realize that God in His mercy had seen the condition of my heart and He was leading me into a relationship with Him before it was too late. Well, I got into the truck finally. I felt humiliated, but when I got into the truck of that uh, drug enforcement agent that evening, it was though a weight had rolled off my shoulders. I didn't know what it meant yet, but I felt that finally I could get out of the situation. We were booked, we were taken into the local prison, and I realized that something needed to be done. My wife needed to be called because I was supposed to meet her at her mother's house that Sabbath, and we were supposed to spend uh, some time in church together. That's how hypocritical my life was, doing drugs and selling drugs, but yet I would show up on church on Sabbath morning and claim to be a Seventh-day Adventist Christian. Maybe that's happening with some of you this morning. Maybe some of you are wearing the name of Christian, but in your heart there's no Christ. This morning, God invites you to be in a relationship with Him. Amen? The Bible says, For as many as receive Him, to them He gives the power to be the sons of God, for as many as believe on His name. I made that decision in prison, but it wasn't before some hardship. My wife came in to the prison that I was at. No longer was I dressed to the nines. When she came in, I had an orange jumpsuit on. I had been up for a few days, shackles on my ankles, shackles on my waist, my wrist shackled to my waist, and I shuffled in like this to see her for the first time again after we'd been married. And as I walked in to see her, she was sitting on a chair in that little room, and they said, do not touch her. You can imagine how difficult that was. And as she looked at me and the situation and the condition that I was in, she fell to her knees. And she began to weep and she said, you did not have to do this. I would have worked two jobs. All I could do was look at her. I couldn't even explain to her at that point in time why I had done what I had done. And this is the effect that sin can have on your life. You see, it started out with some small decisions, but now you see where it ended up. I never saw her again outside prison walls. I went to prison, was really mulling over the things that had happened, and as I thought about them, my heart began to break. God was leading me to repentance, amen? I began to see what I had done to her. I had begun to see what I had done to my family. I had begun to see in part, in, in a small part, what I had done to the, to the people that had been coming to those parties all around the nation. You see, it wasn't just 100 or 200 people that were coming to these parties. There were thousands of people coming to these parties on a continual basis. And we were supplying them with these drugs. And God was telling me, Justin, you're responsible for destroying the minds and the bodies of young people that I wanted to be in my kingdom. 
And to this day, I still have remorse over the decisions that I made, and I pray that God will save some of them for his kingdom. And hopefully, by his grace, I can be a part of it. Well, I'll cut this short. We went to prison, and as I was thinking about these things, I remember being in a dirty old cell, a drug addict underneath me, sleeping on a mat that probably a thousand other men had slept on. There were cockroaches climbing out of the walls, and I thought, how in the world did I get here? It was by the decisions that I had made in my own life. While I was in that room with that man and that bed with those roaches, the Lord began to speak. And he said, Justin, I love you. But you have a decision to make. You can either follow me or you can continue in the path that you're on. He says, if you continue on the path you're on, you see where it's gotten you. But if you follow me, I have something way better for you. And that evening in that bunk, in that room with those roaches, I decided to follow him. I said, Lord, I want you to be the Lord of my life. I want you to be my Savior. I said, but I need new friends because I can't go back to the old ones. And you know, even in that prison environment, separated from the world, God was right there. It doesn't matter where we're at in life. It doesn't matter who we are or where we've been or what we've done. God wants to be with you. And He will go to the extent that He can without forcing you or twisting your arm to bring you into that relationship with Him. And He allowed that to happen for me. You know, I think just like that demoniac, deep in his heart, though people couldn't see on the outside what he was thinking, deep in his heart somewhere God saw that there was a longing for Him and He could take that and work with that. And in my heart, I knew that there was a longing. I didn't even know what it was, but God did, and he brought me into a relationship with him. I remember talking to my grandparents, or my grandmother at that time, and my mother at that time, and they were saying, "Uh, Justin, you need to give your life to Christ. You need to, to give your life to the Lord. It's time for a change. And they said, we remember when you were just a little boy, you knew your memory verses in Sabbath school. You were the top dog at your vacation Bible school. What happened? They said, don't you remember the story of Moses? I didn't even remember who Moses was. Don't you remember the story of Noah's Ark? I said, vaguely, but I couldn't tell you what, it, what it's all about. And as I, I thought about that, I realized how much sin had destroyed my life. But God is able to renew, amen? He's able to take what's broken and fix it again. Well, from that prison situation, God had changed my life. I was still dealing with the repercussions Uh, But praise God, a lot of good things happened. We were able to distribute a lot of literature in the prison system. Uh, One instance I want to tell you about is a time when I was in a federal detention facility. I was working for um, the warehouse. And we were able to get out of the block during the morning and go to the warehouse and fold towels and do chemical bottles, whatever. Anyway, from time to time we would visit the blocks and take the materials from the warehouse. And one day uh, he tells us, listen, we're going to go visit every block in the, uh, in the compound. And I thought to myself, what an opportunity. Because my life was now in the hands of Christ, I was excited to share him with whoever it was I came across. And interestingly enough, I was allowed to get tons of materials in prison. Now in the system that I was in, I was a federal prisoner, and you could only have a small amount of things for yourself, let alone anybody else. But interestingly enough, again, I had a pile of books in my locker this tall, and we were only supposed to have them that tall. 
God was teaching me right there in the prison system. He was preparing me to come home and work for him. Anyway, I had a pocket full of literature. I was going uh, to the warehouse, and I walked in, and my uh, boss, his name was McBride. He was a Southern Baptist black man, uh, true blue, and what a great guy. I walked in, and he said, Mr. Howard. And I said, Mr. McBride. And he said, what do you have there? And I said, literature. And he knew exactly what I was going to do with it. He looked me up and down, up and down. He said, come on, let's go. So all of us left the block, and we went from one block to another, dropping off steps to Christ, desire of ages, and different tracks in every single block. Amen? Amen? God can do the impossible. Those doors were locked to anyone like me. And the only people that could open up those doors were the people that had the keys. But Jesus was bigger than that. Not only could he open up the door, he could open up the door of the hearts and use those tools that we had distributed in those blocks. And I know that somebody's going to be saved because of that. I came home and I began Bible working right away because I was having an experience with Jesus and I didn't know what I was doing, but I did it anyway. Amen. I went to a place like Mission College, got my training, went back and worked for these three churches in a little community in Ohio for a while, and I was just excited to be a part of it. We held an evangelistic meeting. I didn't really know what I was even doing then, but the church got excited. We did it, and praise the Lord, something happened. Uh, right about that time, I was uh, given, uh, given a call to come back to Mission College and work, and I went back to Mission College, began working and, and training and doing outreach and doing evangelism and and for three and a half years, I was working at Mission College. And from there, I got a call to the Washington Conference to work for them. And then I got another call to be a part of Mission College once again. And then I got a call from this generation in New York saying, come and help us. Then I got a call from Montana Youth Conference and saying, come and help us and come and work with us. And God had taken something that was impossible and made it possible. And now I stand before you a changed man. Amen. You know, I think of Nebuchadnezzar who had to go live with the beasts of the field for a little while. You know that story, right? He was a man who thought he had control over his own life. He had developed a kingdom and he said, this is who I am and this is what I've done. This is what I've had. This is what I have. But he didn't realize that God in his love and mercy would bring him low to spend time for a while to live with the beasts of the field until he recognized that God was the most high God and he rules in the kingdom of men. The end of his life, at the end of the seven years, it says that he looks up to heaven, he regains his mind, and he's praising and extolling and giving glory to the God of heaven. And it says something interesting there at the end of that passage. I want you to look it up today. But it says that his kingdom was restored to him. And I thought about that in my own life. God gave me my kingdom. I should have spent the rest of my life in prison for all the guns and the drugs that I had in my possession. But God saw fit to give me just three and a half years because he had different work for me to do. So he gave me my kingdom back. But the Bible says in that story that not only did Nebuchadnezzar get his kingdom back, but excellent majesty was added to him. And I scratched my head and I wondered, what was the excellent majesty that Nebuchadnezzar was given? I don't know technically what the Bible was talking about this day, but my thought and my idea is this. Nebuchadnezzar was given a great kingdom back. It's called Babylon. It was the greatest kingdom of his time. But he was given something more. He was given eternal life. And he was given the kingdom of God. Do you have the excellent majesty this morning? You may have your kingdom here in this earth. But do you have salvation today? If you don't have it, today's the day to ask for it because it's only a prayer away. God sees what's taking place in the heart. 
He knows the condition of our soul. He knows our weakness. He knows our faults. And many of these things are what keeps us from a relationship with Christ. He even knows our pride, and He's able to bring that down. But we must allow Him to work. We must be able to at least say yes to Him today. He's not looking for an eloquent prayer uh, detailing every sin and confessing them uh, point by point until there's no more in our minds. That's a process He'll take us through. But today, all He's asking us to say is yes to Him. Will you say yes to Him this morning? Is it your desire to be a part of His life and to have Him be a part of yours? Is it really? Praise the Lord. I want to add one more thing. I know we're running a little bit late, but I just need to tell you one more part. Can I do that? You know that woman that was in the prison with me, or that came to visit me in the prison, who fell down, broken because of the decisions that I made? She's my wife today. Amen. God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. And I don't know how he did it because she was broken and I did it. And I'll always look upon that woman and all of her beauty and see the miracle that God provided for me. No longer are we in a broken, dysfunctional relationship Now both of us know Jesus. Amen? And now we don't have some illicit, terrible, uh, crazy relationship. Now we have a solid one. One that I know will last for eternity. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much for what you've done for us and the salvation that you provide for us. And I just pray with all of my heart, Lord God, that the people this morning who have heard your message of salvation and your ability to save to the uttermost, would just say yes this morning. And and many of us have agreed to that, Father. And as I looked this morning upon the crowd, I see that your spirit was moving even in the tiredness of our, our bodies and minds. But yet I still saw some, Lord, who may be rejecting the message or who may not be moved to say yes to you today for whatever reason. I pray that you would touch them, Father. For tomorrow's not promised, and today is the day of salvation. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.